What did we just watch, Amy? The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, the classic 1920 German silent expressionism film. And when you say expressionism, you have to make your jazz hands and go, expressionism. expressionism. Yes. Which is uh, very true of expressionism. That's, uh-huh. that's how that that's, feels. That's how, cool, lesson over. Everybody can go home. We explained I mean, it. To be fair, I haven't seen a lot of expressionistic work. Like, this is really my first time to sit down and watch a piece of expressionism. Um, I've seen some expression-influenced plays, but um, those were all produced now rather than in the period where expressionism was sort of growing and thriving. Uh, And that was a fascinating experience to to watch a piece of, of historical expressionism. What did you think? You mean of this film, Dr.? The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, yes. Um, Where to start? So uh, when I was teaching theater history, the kind of avant-garde movements of the early 20th century, and we got to German Expressionism, I'd usually show them clips from this film, having never watched the whole thing. Mm -hmm. You kind of of have a good idea. (laughs) I I don't feel like I've learned a lot more after watching it. Well, because Expressionism is such an aesthetic movement. Yeah, Expressionism is very aesthetic. Um, It's not based in realism. Mm -hmm. And for theater students... Growing up on TV and film and more realistic plays, a lot of times they have trouble imagining things like expressionism. Yes. Or, um, trying to think what the other avant-garde. Uh, Dada. Yeah. Um, oh, you got like Theater of Blood. Um, Is that Artaud? Yeah. Yeah. That's Artaud. Then, of course, later on we'll get into Brecht. Mm-hmm. Um, also German. Yes. A little, little bit later. And then post-war, you get stuff like absurdism and Beckett. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be hard for them to imagine just how larger than life mm-hmm. it is. And so this is, this the clips from this film replicate um, a good idea. But it also demonstrates kind of a, 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 pro, a historiographical problem. Mm-hmm. And that we don't know exactly what it looks like, because a film is not exactly what they were doing on stage. Sure. We have this film, but even, you know, the disclaimers at the beginning, it came from like six different film strips from around the world mm-hmm. stored in archives to kind of create one restored version. And so you can't fall into the mistake of like, this is the thing that mm-hmm. audience Yeah, this isn't saw. exactly what it was. This is this is something that they put a lot of work into to try and get close to that experience yes. and replicate that experience. But, you know, this isn't the original soundtrack. Right. That's not what it is. There are a lot of creative decisions that the restorationists have to make mm-hmm. about um, what to add, what is... They can't add because it's too damaged. Mm-hmm. Um, all like color tones where. Mm-hmm. Um, Although it's likely the original film was tinted. Yes. Yes. Um, because that's a thing I think that I've learned recently. 
um, is that a lot of silent film, which we kind of have in our brain as being in black and white, was colored in different ways. One of the most common of which was tinting, where they would dye the entire film stock or sections of it in different colors uh, to add depth and flavor and differentiate scenes or yeah feelings Um, and so seeing that in this was really exciting to be able to to feel that whether or not it was the correct tone for each and every scene or anything like that being able to get that added experience was very nice yes and then you go into the music which uh is a a guess yeah, I mean, it's not the original. I don't know. I don't know. Like, so I know I some know the films had scores, and they mm-hmm. were like designed like, "Hey, you're gonna have your pianist over here reading the score yeah. and playing along with the film." Um, and so you can replicate that to a certain extent, and that this felt like one of those. It felt almost entirely piano. It was. It. I mean, except for the organ parts. Well, except the, that's a piano in my brain, oh, which yeah. is wrong. But that's. <laughs> it's all you push the buttons on the thing. That's that's mm-hmm. all the same, right? Um. So yes, it it is a recreation more so than a yeah a true yes. And so you got to bring in the conversation that it is a recreation. We can't take a modernist route and say, this is the thing. It yes. speaks for itself. <laughs> it exists in a vacuum. Yeah, because we're so good at doing that regularly. We're not, but <laughs> especially with with uh, your baby theater history students. Yes. I'm not trying to demean them as babies. just that they're young yeah. theater history students. They're, they're learning. Um may not think of that it as anything but yeah. a, f- a finished project yeah project this is just what it was like and i'm experiencing it exactly the same way they did a hundred years ago yeah um which is is neat to think about um that this movie is a hundred years old i mean lots of movies are a hundred years old but i haven't seen most of them um because a hundred years feels like a long time arguably it is a long time but to be able to still experience something akin to what they were experiencing a hundred years ago that isn't a book or isn't a play being restaged mm-hmm. is neat. I think that's neat. Yeah. <laughs> I like being able to do that. Because you can only do it back to a hundred years. You can't go back to 200 years. You can't go back to 200 years. Although you can go into the 1800s. There yes, are films yes, can. Uh, yeah. from that era. I just didn't know if... We're going by century marks. Well, yeah. Yeah. You can't go 200 years ago. That's true. You could probably, I think, go about 100 and... I think the earliest stuff is like 1880. So that's almost 150 years. Um, And there's um, an interesting discussion in that period about the way that technology and spirituality kind of became an intertwined entity Mm -hmm. uh, that, that got into popular... Popular. I don't know anything about it, but I understand Media. that that happened. <laughs> um, and we're kind of later for this is this is kind of a a spooky story. Yes, because it's spooky month. We didn't mention that. <laughs> a spooky story, and this I mean the story is pretty bare bones, and that's just like what I think silent film. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I've seen so little silent film. I don't, yeah. I, I follow uh, Movies Silently on Twitter, um, who is, is which is a Twitter account run by a woman named Fritzy, who is a historian of silent film um, and has lots of very strong opinions about 
the fact that it gets ignored by the majority of even film historians. And it's something like 20% of all film is silent. Yeah. And, but a lot of it has not survived yes. time. So we go to the great historiographical question <laughs> of how do we fill in the silences in the archives? Yes. This clearly had a huge cultural influence. Yes, which is why um, it exists still. you can't just ignore it because we lost the originals. Yeah. There, there are other strategies yes. of, of analysis. Uh. Uh, but this one, I mean, it gets... Not too much of a complex story. No, not not overly complex. Um, it is divided into six acts. Mm-hmm. I think the whole thing is about an hour. Hour fifteen. Hour I think 15. it's like seventy-four minutes, is what Wikipedia said. Uh, it's about. Um, I say that I may not be able to remember the plot so well because I was paying attention <laughs> to other things. To some other things. Well, I was I was very much reminded of watching um, plays in another language, where you have to use a different part of your brain to a certain extent yeah. to watch it. Um, when you like, because there there it's not just a character says a line of dialogue and then you get a title card that says that line of dialogue, yeah. um, which would actually be kind of boring. So you get lots of expression and interaction and acting to convey meaning without necessarily having every single word of dialogue spoken in the film and that's mostly what i was paying to like oh look at their gestures look at their face look at how the makeup accentuates their face so you can see their expressions yeah more Uh, it was all really cool (laughs) um and 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 not a lot of placards to give dialogue no either so it's not like there there were some but there's too much and it's all translated yeah. into English as well. Um, so it's about um, kind of a carnival show that comes yeah. to town. There's kind of a couple guys who are fighting over a girl. Uh, they want to, and they're because the tropes are already a hundred years old. <laughs> <laughs> and they want to go to the carnival, and there's a you know kind of the main attraction is this guy named Doctor Caligari. And you go in to see his sonambulist who sleeps for 23 years and wakes up to deliver a prophecy yeah. every day, I guess. I guess. This. Yeah. One, you know, um, twice a week on, uh, or, you know, eight times a week, twice on Sundays. <laughs> uh, and his prophecy is usually about someone dying. Mm-hmm. And then people start getting mysteriously murdered mm-hmm. in the town. And there's some investigations. The police are called in. Mm-hmm. And they think... The somnambulist Caesar did it, yeah. but then they were someone was watching him the whole time, so he couldn't have done the murder, right? Except he did. He did, but not of his own volition. Yeah, there, there's a little, little uh, unclarity. That's not a well. Word, he but... was, he was. Yeah, I think it's fairly clearly established he was being controlled by Doctor Caligari. Yes, that's that's the way I interpreted it. Yeah. Um. And one of the two friends gets killed in mm-hmm. one of these murders. murders. Um, the girl, I believe, kind of has a melt- breakdown, mm-hmm. like goes insane, is put in the asylum. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the first scene of a guy talking to an older man and she kind of walks by, I believe, is a, of the future. Like him looking back and saying, we had a... 
We've oh, been, that's that's we've interesting. We've been through hard times. Me and my fiance here, who's wandering the asylum <laughs> lawn. Um, I th- I believe that that's yeah. No, I I see that. Uh, what that first scene is, and so it turns out Doctor Caligari is a psychiatrist. Is like yeah. the, He's head the head psychiatrist at the asylum. Yeah. Um and. Is He's trying to recreate this thing he read about in a book from the 18th century. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, gaslighting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, everyone the around him. The people who have figured it out. Yeah. And, like, takes off his disguise and puts on his regular clothes and says, you're making that up. You yeah. definitely did not see that. I know. You did not you're see ridiculous. that. So it's... Uh, that bit p- puts it like very squarely in Freudian psychiatry, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I think expressionism too, and the way this film plays with shapes, nothing's realistic. All the paint, all the sets look like hand painted. Mm-hmm. They're not made to look. With I think one exception, which is the courtyard where the story sort of begins and sort of ends. Yeah, um, yeah. which is as realistic trees and leaves on the ground, which. Again, isn't a is a points in the spot where that's actually happening. Yes, it, rather in the than real being world. the story, and the rest told. of it is his memory mm-hmm. of what happened and his internal memory, his internal feelings are expressed. Ouch! Yeah, Felicity just got me. Yes, you got you good. Uh, in crooked doors and slanted. Yeah, there's no right uh, angles anywhere. <laughs> And um, lots of force wavy lines. Uh, nothing is. We're not talking like movie backdrops that kind of replicate. No, the it's point of it's view. it's intentionally disconcerting yeah. and off kilter, um, which is like. There's a reason this is like the go-to example of expressionism, <laughs> in that this is what like that's what expressionism is. Yeah. Um, I had a I had internal. a thought when I was watching it, it was like yeah, oh you're stuck. expressionism is almost easier to read sometimes because it is very much wearing its meaning on its sleep like yeah. it's wearing the emotions externally and outwardly like it's metaphor but it's not nuanced or subtle metaphor no <laughs> it's metaphor it's like, so you get it this contorting body is in pain yes but not in you know not in a way you would actually contort yeah. It's exaggerated. I guess that's a good way. Mm-hmm. It's exaggerated emotion. Yeah. In in kind of cartoonish. Yeah, no, very ways. very cartoonish and not in a bad way, but in a in a way that it feels like a cartoon where it's that sort of heightened everything and stretching and squishing and and not confined to reality. Well, I think it does leave it wants to I think it wants to leave you wondering if it really was Dr. Caligari out there at the mm-hmm. fair, or if it was just kind of an imagined. Yeah, so I think uh, I like a mass. I read it as him going, like the sort of final scene in the asylum was him being the one who was insane, to use that term, um, and that the whole story was was made up or based on his experiences in the asylum and not an actual thing of what happened. Oh, so he's not a director. He's not the director. Or are you thinking about the man? The, the man telling the story. Oh, okay. You're not talking about Dr. Caligari. No. 
being an inmate, actually. No, I don't think Dr. Caligari... I don't, I don't think the film is saying that Dr. Caligari was actually doing this. I think the narrator was an inmate and made up the entire story. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Like that's that's one of the things that I'm kind of struggling with coming out of this and and watching the documentary. You watched about five minutes of the documentary on the Blu-ray. Didn't help answer for me at all. Is I had trouble seeing a so despite it being relatively easy to read the emotion and the experience and the thing like. I did not walk away from this going like, oh, this is clearly a metaphor for X. Or this is not, you know, telling a, a didactic story of any particular kind, which it doesn't need to be doing. But I think we almost expect, I almost expect classical films to be doing that. Um, to like, oh, this is important because, and even the documentary was like, what is this a precursor to the rise of Hitler? Did it happen to just guess that was going to be happening? Which might be true, and and reflecting that period, I just don't have any cultural context for that. Well, I, I think expressionism is about capturing feelings. Yeah. And, and I think it does that very well. Yeah. But as we all know, feelings can be real hard to put into yes. words. Yes. So it does leave it more for an open... Um, Interpretation or... Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm fine with that. That's not a bad thing. I don't need my films to be cut and dry necessarily. But it was interesting coming out of it going like, oh, this isn't saying something in the way that I kind of expected it to. Yeah, well, the documentary started, again, we cut we it off. We didn't watch it off. Yeah, we watched watch the, the whole thing. Hi, buddy. Yes. Um, I started pointing to, I felt like the carnival goers also being sleepwalkers going into mm -hmm. um see the somnambulist and that the somnambulists waking up this is how i was trying to interpret yeah. it is a kind of symbolism of the the german people waking up out of this long world war um creating a new republic. coming out of that shock yeah creating a new republic avoiding a civil war um and going into the Weimar. Yeah. Republic. Yeah. I can certainly see that. That's, I mean, that's some real thinking stretch. Yeah. For which I have no authority because that's a big blind spot in my. Yeah. I just don't know about that period. I, I, guess, I th also don't think you can look at anything in that Weimar period without thinking, how did this set Germany up for Hitler? Yeah. <laughs> which is that's, fair. That's a fair question. I, I think. <laughs> there is, it is, but I'm, I'm reminded that there is no effect with only one cause. And so I'm, or no cause with only one effect. And so I'm, I'm always curious about like, what are the other things around it? Cause I think only tying it into the rise of Hitler and Nazism is a boring yes. take. Yes. <laughs> Cause I'm like, yeah, absolutely. It was of that period. There is a connection there, but what, what else was going on? What, what was the other stuff? Uh, because I think that adds depth and nuance that just saying this is about Hitler lacks. Yeah. I have to say that this is the kind of film or primary source um, because this, this film is canonic mm -hmm. in silent film 
for representing German Expressionism, oh, yeah. kind of giving an, a, an idea of what it may have looked like mm -hmm. um, in more live performances, mm -hmm. not just film. So it's important. It's hitting a lot of like important firsts. Yes. Uh, and important reasons it can be in a historical canon. But it's one of those things where I often find the analysis of it a lot more interesting than watching <laughs> the primary document. Yeah, no, I get that. Reading um, the primary document. Yeah, I would. I like reading people's understanding of the musical Oklahoma a lot more than I like watching Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm glad we watched it. I, it was one that, I mean, I just bought the DVD recently, but it was... Silent film is is a blind spot of mine. I don't know as much of it. Yeah, and I think if we hadn't watched Hexen um, a year or yeah. two ago, I wouldn't have given any silent films a, a chance. chance. <laughs> they're not. They're they're pretty like intellect. Watching them in twenty twenty <laughs> is a pretty intellectual Experience, endeavor. Yeah. of things because this is a spooky movie. Um, I think it was spooky in mm -hmm. 2020, but our, like it's not in... You mean 1920? 1920 time. Yeah. But, right, in 2020, we're so numbed to that mm -hmm. kind of horror. I mean, I do think, like, watching the Sonambulist's eyes open for the first time, like, that was, was impactful. It was creepy. Um, it was, you know, again, all done with expression and makeup and sort of watching those moments. And it played... Well, still, I think, today. Yeah, is the story itself super creepy? Eh, no. But is it atmospheric in a way that I think a lot of the best spooky movies are? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, I think about it in, in connection to something like The Witch, which we watched when it first came out, mm -hmm. um, which was, again, more atmospheric than it was, like, jump out of your seat scary. Um, and this kind of felt like that in a lot of ways. Oh, right. Yeah. A lot of the classic horror directors are yeah. i mean yeah. i'll always point back to nosferatu and yeah the, actually i thought there was good shadow work in in yeah, this yeah there was too. a lot of really cool shadow stuff we see it all Silhouette. in shadow yeah um what was yeah it was, was really use. cool watching the trailer for uh, metropolis also made me go oh i really need to watch metropolis <laughs> yeah it did it did look good <laughs> I've never seen Metropolis. I haven't just either. Always, you know the the, the clips. The, yeah, the 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 shots that get passed around because yeah. we go. Yes, this is this is the thing. Another groundbreaking. Yeah. German expression. Uh, <laughs> is it expressionism? Is Metropolis? I don't know. I don't know the time period. I believe yes, it is it expressionism, is. especially when you get into the mechanical parts. Like you do see in the factory where they're all like moving. Yes, because that's the sort of expressionism that gets put in the adding machine and mm -hmm. the machinal. Yeah, that's true. Is my when it comes over to the U.S. Yeah, it's a little late. Well, arguably, <laughs> it, it came to U.S. theater once German expressionism went to film yes because we imported the films yeah it to the u.s and that's when it started coming to the theater yeah like a lot of things in in u.s media we stole it from other places yeah <laughs> <laughs> well there's such a long history of of making kind of homebrewed theater oh, uh, yeah. and never could quite <laughs> reach the um acclaim of european theater mm -hmm. it was uh, Certainly, Europeans were not coming to the United States to see no. theater yeah. and performance. Um, yeah, there was definitely a... 
I mean, we it's exported not a, not some of our sports. we exported some of our theater. You know, like minstrelsy. We did, but oh, <laughs> no, I'm thinking. But I'm thinking it was it was later and like it might have been uh, post World War Two. Okay, that 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 what became a CIA CIA operation. Ah, um, we might have had some minstrelsy traveling. I, I I know just the barest minimum of that history, so I know we exported it, which is not a, a proud thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a little I'm a little unclear on the touring practices of the late 19th century. Yeah. Um, I just know that we have two major theater exports in the U.S., and they were minstrelsy and musicals, <laughs> which are inexplicit, inexplicable, not inexplicably, un questionably linked Mm -hmm. (laughs) one is very much tied to the other Mm -hmm. from a historical perspective but uh, everything else we stole which is fine that's that's how art works Uh, do i have any other notes i want to talk about do you have anything else you wanted to mention i didn't write any notes i think that was mostly okay as i said i was mostly paying attention to the ways that costumes and makeup supported expressions Mm -hmm. um Facial expressions, yeah, the physicality body expressions, of the, um, the play of shadow, light and shadow. Yeah. Um, I really liked how they used the the iris of the frame, um, like zooming in and not zooming in and out, but like irising in and out on certain parts of the screen for transitions, but then also using like a diamond iris to create more of that off-kilter thing, kilter mm-hmm. thing by making the frame itself off-kilter. Um, and not being confined to just the, the, you know, three by four box of the frame. I thought that did some really interesting things. When they did do the, um, the iris frame, they always caught very interesting facial expressions. Yeah. Yeah. When a lot of, a a lot lot of of the close-ups, a lot of the close-ups would also be like, you'd see a a wide shot of everybody and it would close up and the close-up would be in a circle iris, um, for, I mean, added focus for lack of a better term. It would, it would. It was really neat. You don't you don't see that in modern film at all. Like you rarely see anyone. You see some, a director like will pick their aspect ratio, and that's a big deal for a lot of people. You know, getting the right one. But like you don't see it change or or move or play with the frame in that way very often anymore. I don't know how widespread it was outside of this film, but I just think it was neat to see it all. It's an imagination or reality, Felicity? What do you think? What is real? What is imagined? Can we imagine what's real? Yes. We can imagine it into being. (laughs) I don't know anything else. That was... It's a neat film. Yeah, it's worth... Checking out. Yeah, there are, there are. It is in the public domain, so you can find free copies of it all over the place. They are. They're rough, real ugly. Rough uh, <laughs> film scripts. Yeah. Film. film yeah. Strip. Yeah. The, film strip. The, yeah. They're they're real rough copies of copies. Very degraded. This uh, is a good one you got from what, Kona. Uh, Kino. Kino. Kino Lorber is a one of a handful of boutique Blu-rays that are companies that are out there. Um, Criterion, of course, is the most well-known one to me, um, but I know other people do. Kino or Arrow puts out other stuff um, with sort of different focuses. Um, so yeah, this was the Kino Classics line, and they put a lot of work into restoring it, um, which I always appreciate. 
Although their special features aren't as good as a Criterion disc. <laughs> yeah, we tried, to, we tried them. Well, I, the documentary could have been interesting. I just didn't want to spend another hour. Yeah. Uh, watching. I wasn't. I wasn't super impressed by what we saw of the documentary. No, it wasn't. Look, it was too broad. Yeah. It's too broad. Um, but yeah, I was surprised Criterion didn't have. Yeah, well, sometimes it's, it's what oh, it's, I would say it's what they can get the rights to. It's in public domain, yeah. but it's you know there's a lot of uh, what's the word I'm looking for capital decisions that have to be made. You know what's going to sell, what's not. Um, you know maybe they looked at the market and said, well, this is already on the market. This is a good enough one out there that if we try and compete with that, that's just going to be cutting our potential budget in half, potential market in half, because restoring is a lot of work. So it's got to be worthwhile. But this is pretty to watch. Like, yeah. Yeah. Up there with Hexen. Hexen. I don't mm-hmm. know how you pronounce it. Um, that was that was a real blast to watch because yeah. it looked real good. Mm-hmm. I wish I wish all the silent films we got access to looked that good. Yeah. Because. We would think differently about silent films. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because didn't silent film have like pornos? and? Oh, yeah. There were, there were some very risque things happening. Mm-hmm. Um, story-wise. Yeah. Well, because almost, I, I think, almost all film, silent film, was in what we call the pre-code area before yeah. the haze code got put into place. Um, so there was a lot of experimentation, a lot of things being done. And much of it has been lost because we've picked, you know, five or six really, we, we say, these are the important ones, and then that's the ones we keep restoring. Um, and lots of it is just gone. Um, so when we can find things and we can restore those things, it's really cool. Of which there is still a lot around. Um, I was, what were we watching? Oh, this is super tangential. Um, oh, are you watching Disclosure? No, I wasn't going to talk about that because okay. it just made me mad. Okay. Um, no, when we were watching Lovecraft Country and she went back to the 20s. Hippolyta. Oh, and the silent film, and it was a DW Griffith film, and you were like... No, uh-huh. I mean, I probably was doing that, but... No, the the woman she was dancing with, whose name escapes me at the moment... Josephine Baker? Yes, Josephine okay. Baker, thank Not you. Not the Tulsa 20s. Not the Tulsa the 20s. French. The French 20s, when she's like, I want to dance on stage with T- Josephine Baker, and yeah. she does. Um, I went and found a Josephine Baker silent film, because she was mm-hmm. a big silent film star. Mm-hmm. Um, I went and watched one of those. It was a colonial mess but i watched part of it anyway <laughs> well that's josephine baker yeah and that's that has been written about oh, I'm and sure. analyzed <laughs> and re <laughs> taking it back yeah there's a lot going I'm, on not there. we but uh you know i think black feminists have taken <laughs> taking josephine back yeah <laughs> um, which is fine i i had nothing against it but it was it was like knowing is the sort of colonialism and art stuff that i was watch. i know just watching josephine baker play a native african caribbean person it was i don't it wasn't super clear i mean one of her most well-known dances the banana dance yeah so yeah um but yeah it was neat silent film it's cool go find some high quality restorations uh, all right gotta talk about the patreon these are the things yeah. we gotta remember uh, we have a patreon patreon.com slash five degrees you can give us a dollar an episode or more if you feel like it we appreciate it we're gonna keep making this for free because that's what 
these things are all about. But if you want to give us a buck or two, feel free. We always appreciate it. Um, you do get behind the scenes, quote unquote, um, extra unedited episodes, which are the same episodes. I just don't cut off the parts between when I hit the mic on and off buttons. So you get extra banter between me and Amy, us yelling at our cat. Uh, you also get the list of movies we don't watch every week. This uh, week's list was different from the previous weeks. Yeah, most weeks are different. Yes. I, I mix it up. Yeah. I, I have a running tally, and I'll pull things from old lists and, and mix and match um, of all the movies we don't watch. Yeah, so far none of them have been like real hide-your-eyes-scream-a-lot spooky. No. <laughs> we, don't, we don't do that spooky. Um, I think the babysitter might be. Oops, spoilers. <laughs> yeah. If we watch it, we don't. There have there have been. Yeah, we've watched some spooky movies, but not this spooky month. Um, yeah, secret behind the scenes stuff. Support us on Patreon. We appreciate it. Also, thank you just for listening. Yeah, that's that's for a big listening. deal. We like it. Uh, feel free to leave us a review on wherever it is you leave reviews for podcasts, mm-hmm. and tell your friends about us. Yeah. And I think that's all the things I'm supposed to say about our Patreon. Cool beans. Yeah. Thanks for supporting. That's it for this week. Yeah, say goodnight, Amy. Goodnight, Amy.